far as finding a seat, go ahead and find your place in the Scriptures, Hebrews chapter 13. Be there a couple more Sundays. Uh, I have enjoyed uh, these passages, and I, I, I hope that you have. I, I pray that you have. As the choir was singing, turn your eyes uh, upon Jesus. I couldn't help but think in preparation for the message today what so many people in our world today are turning their eyes upon other than Jesus. And we'll talk about one of those this morning under God's leading as he teaches us from his word. The believer's behavior in relation to ourselves, in relation to others the last two weeks, in relation to ourselves today. Well, I read a story about a, a young man who went to his pastor to confess a sin. This young man was very serious and obviously quite broken. His sin was that of gluttony. The pastor said, well, you sure aren't overweight. The man replied, I know it's not that I eat too much, but I want to. I continually crave food. It's an obsession. I read that this week and could not help but think about a word that we'll look at in just a moment. But that word is covetousness. Covetousness is much like the man's gluttony. We don't have to have a lot of stuff. We don't have to have a lot of things. In fact, church, we don't have to accumulate anything at all because covetousness is an attitude. It's wanting to acquire things, longing for them, setting our thoughts and attention on them, whether we own them or not. When John D. Rockefeller was a young man, he was asked this question. How much money do you want? And he said, a million dollars. Once he acquired that and earned that, he was asked again, how much money do you want? Another million. The New Living Translation reads this way, Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Can I say this to us? That when our focus is on material things, having those things will never catch up with wanting those things. In our scripture this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 13, I'm sorry, find verse 5 and 6. 5 and 6. I know what you may be thinking. Well, preacher, why did we skip verse 4? I'm going to tie that in later on in our series. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. 
Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Did you hear that in your Sunday school this morning? Verse 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The word of the Lord. Father, we bow thanking you for your word. Lord God, without your holy word, there's really no need for us to meet together. But God, because of your inspired word, your inerrant word, we come together to meet this day and every Lord's day. To see what it is you have for us. And Lord, what a wonderful message you have today as you do each Lord's Day. Speak to our hearts. Show us, O God, what you want us to learn and leave this place with today. In your precious, in your holy name we pray. Amen. Love of money. One of the most common forms of covetousness. Why? Why do we see that as one of the most common forms of covetousness? Simply because money, get this, money can be used to secure many of your and my wants. Can I tell you what loving money is? It's this, it's lusting after temporal things. Those things that don't last forever. Money is a sin against, loving money is a sin against God. It's a form of distrust. What does our text say? It says, be content with such things as you have. Among other things... Loving money is trusting in uncertain riches rather than the one true living God. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Luke twelve fifteen and he, Jesus, said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. As I read those scriptures this week, I was I was I was reminded that we, you and I, must guard against every kind of greed. Because church Life is not measured by how much we own. Remember Judas, that greedy traitor of a disciple? What did he do? For 30 pieces of silver, for money, he betrayed the Son of God. And many people today believe that Judas, because of that, was kept out of the kingdom. Of God because of his love 
for money. Let me add this. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to be wealthy. I think of Abraham and Job in the Old Testament. They were considered to be wealthy people. In the New Testament, we read throughout the New Testament, there, there were a number of wealthy, faithful believers. But let's be reminded, 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us this. Not necessarily money in and of itself, but what is it? It is the love of money that's the root of all sorts of evil. It's longing after and trusting in money that is sinful. Now, think about those millions of people who play the lottery, who buy a lottery ticket. What are they putting their trust in? A lottery ticket that they hope will win them what? Money. David says in Psalm 62.10, If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. So when we trust in money, who are we distrusting? We're distrusting God. Whatever direction the love of money takes, the spiritual results are the same. And here it is. It displeases God and it separates us from Him. Nicer clothes, bigger homes, another car or truck, a better vacation, all of those things, let's be honest, tempt us. Do they not? They tempt us. But what what does the Word of God say in our text? It says, be content with what we have. Verse 6, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? As I read that and as I read that this week, if we've got the Lord, guess what? We've got it all. Maybe thinking, no, I sure would like to have several thousand dollars in my checking account, preacher. Guess what? I'll join you. I would too. Material things are temporary. The Lord, God, is eternal Discontentment, think about that with me, is one of man's greatest sins. Being discontent. On the other hand, contentment is one of God's greatest blessings. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. So how is it that we can enjoy being content? How is it that we, we're satisfied with what we have? 
fill in some blanks here. We'll get through this quickly. First, we must realize God's goodness. We must realize God's goodness. Those of you who were here last Sunday as, as Elder Wendell Robinson had a few words to say in leading our singing and introduction of the group that was here last Sunday night, and he's notorious for saying this, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. You've heard that. You've probably said it before. But I'm not sure, I'm not so sure how many people truly believe that, that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Can I say, if we, if we truly believe that, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God will take care of us. We can rest in the promise of the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good for those who love Him. Secondly, we must realize that God is omniscient. What does that mean? That simply means that He knows everything. He knows what we need long before we have a need or ask Him to meet that need. Look with me in the Gospel of Luke right quick, chapter 12, verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 29. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Listen to verse 30. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. Thirdly, we must realize what we deserve. What we deserve. What we want or need is one thing. What we deserve is quite another. I believe we should take the attitude of Jacob in the Old Testament. In Genesis 32.10, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. I like this quote. I'll share it with you. It's been said, I quote, The smallest good thing we have is more than we deserve. The smallest good thing that we have is more than we deserve. Fourthly, we must realize God's sovereignty. You know, a lot of people in our world today that don't believe in the sovereignty of God. Let me say this, that God does not have the same plan for all of His children. What He so lovingly gives to one Christian, He may just as lovingly not give to another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. I'll I'll get through this right quick. There are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There, uh, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. Verse 7 says that the Spirit is given to each one for the profit 
of all. So one's given the word of wisdom. To another, faith. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. But look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So that tells me the Lord knows what we need. And not only that, church, He will provide us with nothing less than that. And fifthly, we must realize Not only realize, but continually remind ourselves what true riches are. True riches. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Here's the truth of the matter. Is this. Think of contentment with me, if you will. And I just want you to ask yourself, are you truly content today? Are you truly content today? We have to face that question. And we either are content or we're not content. But here's the truth of the matter. Contentment comes only from communion with God. Now think about that. Think about that with me if you will. That's saying this, that the more we focus on God, the less we will be concerned about anything material. The closer we are, the nearer we are to the heart of God, we become overwhelmed, get this, with the riches that we have in Him. In earthly possessions, those things will become pale. In comparison, here's contentment. Having the confidence to say boldly, as verse 6 in our text says. Let me read it to us again. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Folks, I'm a big believer in the providence of God. I hope you are. Just so happened was was talking with one of our church members this week, and they happened to share this with me. And immediately, this was even before I got into sermon preparation. Really good. It was the first part of the week. <clears throat> I said I need that for this Sunday. I need it. I don't want to share it with you. Let's conclude this way. One day, one friend asked another, "How is it that you are always so happy?" You have so much energy and you never seem to get down. With her eyes smiling, she said, I know the secret. Capital secret. What secret is that? To which she replied, I'll tell you all about it, but you have to promise to share the secret with others. The secret is this. I have learned there is little I can do in my life that will make me truly happy. I must depend on God to make me happy and to meet my needs. When a need arises in my life, I have to trust God to supply according to His riches. I have learned most of the time, I don't need half of what I think I do. He has never let me down. 
Since I learned that secret, I'm happy. The questioner, the questioner's first thought was, that's too simple. But upon reflecting over his own life, he recalled how he thought a bigger house would make him happy, but it didn't. He thought a better paying job would make him happy, but it didn't. When did he realize his greatest happiness? Sitting on the floor with his grandchildren. Playing games. Eating pizza. Or reading a story. A simple gift from God. Boys, I read that this week. I couldn't help but think that we cannot depend on people and or things to make us happy. Only God, only God, in His infinite wisdom, can do that. And this is what we've got to do. We've got to trust Him. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for the message. Now speak to our hearts in this time of dedication and commitment. We pray in Your name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our last hymn, number 302. We sang that song, that, that hymn. What a, what a beautiful song. Have thine own way, Lord. You know, I, I couldn't help but think if we, if we say, have thine own way, Lord, in our life, then you know what tells me that we are content 
we're content. God, have your own way in our lives. Pray with me. Father, thank you for just a wonderful time of worship today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you spoke to each of us today. And I pray, God, as we leave this place today, that we can say that we are content where we are. Lord, we don't have to have all these things that this world has to offer. It seems to sidetrack us somewhat. So God, may our attention be on you. And as we leave today as a benediction and part of the scripture that we read just a few moments ago, let our conduct be without covetousness. May we be content with such things that we have. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>